Travel to Europe is off-limits for the time being, but we can still keep the flame of wanderlust alive through the virtual vacation with Guidester, the weekly podcast where host Jack Bauman, founder of Guidester, and travel enthusiast Arnold Stricker dive into new destinations, exploring their unique history, culture, and special vibe. You will also get insider tips about these destinations you won't get from other sources. What's the best way to see Ireland? What do St. Patrick and pirates have in common? If you saw a blue shamrock in Ireland, would you be surprised? What's the significance of a harp to the Irish? Where would you find the oldest trees in Europe? You'll get the answers to these and more questions in this episode. Now let's join our host, the guidester himself, Jack Bauman. Jack, if I get a chance to go to England, I also want to hit Ireland and Scotland. But let's talk about Ireland first, because it's I'm not Irish. A lot of people celebrate St. Patrick's Day here in the United States. So what would a perfect itinerary in Ireland be if I wanted, wanted to do that? Yeah, well, that's a great question, and I'm with you. Ireland, the Emerald Isle, is absolutely worth anybody's visit, no matter if you're a history, outdoorsy person, um, you know, whatever your interests are, Ireland has it for you. So they're, they're, it's one of my favorite places in Europe by far. So I can talk about it all day. I mean, we, we got no, about, now, Jack, we don't have that much time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll keep it concise. Um, so depending on how much time you have, it, that'll really dictate a lot. So for this purpose, let's pretend you've got a 10-day itinerary, 10-day trip. So that'll, that'll really cover the highlights of Dublin and South and West Ireland, which I think is really the gem of Ireland, the southern part and the western part. So for this discussion, we'll, we'll assume we have 10 days. Does that work for you? Okay. So we're going to go through in Ireland 10 days. Um, so we'll go through it briefly real quick, and then we'll, we'll circle back around and talk more in detail. Um, but I would do 10 days. I'd start in Dublin. Flying in to Dublin and out of Galway is ideal, but you, if, if you can find a better trip, round trip out of Dublin uh, is acceptable as well. So two days in Dublin, flying to Dublin, um, you got to see Trinity College, Book of Kells, Guinness Storehouse, Christ Church, the Temple Bar. So a lot of stuff to discuss there. But so Dublin, two days, Kilkenny, you want to do a day. This is a medieval town or kind of city uh, southwest of Dublin, heading south to the southern part of Ireland. And it's nearby the Rock of Cashel, which is the Rock of Cashel's kind of that medieval castle looking outcrop you've seen in photos it's sitting up on a it's like literally from like another world so Kilkenny is an awesome medieval little town city that's nearby uh, one of the top attractions in Ireland the Rock of Cashel so you just do a night there see the, the town itself and then the nearby Rock of Cashel dude Cork two days Cork is how I'd pronounce that uh, two days in Cork and Cork's a really cool city some of the best live traditional folk music they call it trad so if someone says, or they'll call it diddly eye, uh, it's a favorite one. So, you know, kind of the Irish music, you know, mm-hmm. that you'll hear that's stereotypical. They'll call that either trad, which is traditional Irish music, or diddly eye. And it, I guess they call it diddly eye because it sounds like diddly eye, diddly oh, diddly eye. <laughs> and so they say, oh, you want some diddly eye? Cark's the place for you, or Killarney. Um, so you'll do two days there. And then nearby Cark is Blarney Castle and Jameson Distillery. I've heard of Blarney Castle. Yeah, Blarney. Kiss the Blarney Stone. Right. Yeah, for the gift of eloquence. And then Jameson. I think you've heard of Jameson. Right. Right. Uh, not that I'm implying anything. I'm no. Just, I'm just assuming that you might be a whiskey guy. Uh, so this is the original Jameson Distillery uh, in Old Middleton. Uh, so it's actually not in, in use anymore, but you can go visit it. And this is the distillery you want to go see. And you, and you can do a little tasting afterwards as well, which is really cool. Uh, then Killarney, two days. Killarney is in the southwest. This is the Ring of Kerry. This is some of the most dramatic natural beauty in all of Ireland. And Killarney is the city 
at sort of the the base or if at the starting and finish point of the Ring of Kerry. So staying in Killarney two nights allows you to see Killarney itself, which is a really cool city, and then giving you the ability to explore nearby Ring of Kerry, the Killarney National Park, and then if you have extra time, the Dingle Peninsula, which is, again, all natural beauty. Uh, in fact, the Killarney National Park, Arnold, is the remnants of the medieval, uh, no, prehistoric primordial forest that used to cover all of Europe thousands of years ago. Seriously, It's all been cut down. You know, Europe's been occupied by thousands or tens of thousands of years. And Killarney National Park is the last remaining part of that forest. Wow. So the natural beauty, I mean, the trees and the moss and the growth in parts of that national park are spectacular. Wow. Yeah, so you go up from there and then you'll, you'll end in Galway. But on your way up to Galway, you'll stop in the Cliffs of Moher. And that's the most visited natural attraction in Ireland. It's that dramatic cliffside, you know, that you've seen. I think it's like 700 feet in its highest point. Very big cliffside. Well, we're seeing. So you'll see the cliffs of Moher on the way up. Uh, and then you'll do two days in, in Galway. Galway City is a medieval city. Kind of hipster, a little eclectic, a little different than Dublin's the capital. Galway's more of kind of a cheeky hipster kind of place. But really cool, awesome city center. And then nearby to the west of Galway is Connemara. Connemara is a is a national park. It's a it's an area that I has been made into a national park. But Connemara is vast, open, wild landscape that a lot of the Irish ballads have been written about. So you'll mm. hear a lot of these Irish folk songs. A lot of them take place in and around Connemara, uh, and that's how you'd finish. You'd you'd finish your two days in Galway, your two nights, and you'd fly out of Galway, or you'd zip back to Dublin, which is about three hours to Galway. So just a quick recap there. You do two days in Dublin, a day in Kilkenny, two days in Kirk, uh, two days in Killarney, and then finishing up two days in Galway. So if you don't have 10 days, what would you cut out of that trip? Great question. Um, So you can cut out the stops along the way from Dublin to Cork, like the Rock of Cashel, Kilkenny, although Kilkenny really is one of the coolest places to see. But you can cut out some of the smaller stops, uh, limit your time in Cork to just a single day. Uh, so maybe you don't see all of Cork, or maybe you just see Blarney or Jameson, or just see Blarney and Jameson in one day and cut out the the Cork itself. Uh, the Ring of Kerry really should require two days, but you can do it in one. You, it'd be a long day, but you can do the, the it's a one route, it's one road that goes around the Ring of Kerry. You can do that in a single day. So you can cut that out, and you can also cut Galway out to a day if you want. Or if you're really tight on time, just cut Galway out altogether. So let's say you only have three to five days in Ireland. Um, so you've got the 10 days, and then you can pare that down six, seven, eight days, just cut out some of the smaller things that we've identified. But if you only have three to five days in Ireland, my recommendation would be just to do Dublin for a day or two, and then pick one area. Mm-hmm. It could be the Ring of Kerry, the Cliffs of Moher, which is also the Burren. Uh, nearby is the Burren, which is awesome, uh, or Galway City, and then that includes Connemara. So if it were me, I would probably do Dublin, Two day, if I had three days, I would do Dublin two days and one day in Kilkenny and then the Rock of Cashel. Because a lot of times people think Ireland's small and the, the roadway system is actually quite good from Dublin to Cork up to Galway, kind of the, the, you know, the triangle where inver- inverted triangle. You can get from A to B fairly quickly, but there's always more time added into it. So a lot of times people think, oh, I'll just do a day trip down to the south of Ireland. That's not recommended. That's I guess you could do it, but it, it seems like a wasted time. So if if it, and you could also cut out Dublin too, flying to Cork, um, and then just do the southern part of Ireland too. Hmm. So there are a lot of ways you can mix and match this. But my recommendation is if your time is limited, 
go deep rather than broad. So of all the things that you mentioned, what's your favorite? Of all the things mentioned, I would probably say Kilkenny, just for the all-around character, charm, uh, and the rich history of, of this city. It has regular world-class class live music, that traditional diddly-i, which I love. The, a lot of Irish, I guess, get annoyed by the diddly-i. I love it. It just cracks me up, makes me laugh, makes me cheerful. Um, so the, there's some really, really awesome pubs in Kilkenny. There's a river going right through Kilkenny, Kilkenny Castle, then you have the Round Tower, this old abbey. So the sights in Kilkenny are awesome, and you have all of these old covered arcades. It's really a medieval city, you know, rock buildings going back to like the 12th, 13th, 14th centuries. Mm. Um, And then it's a small city, too, so you can get out of that area into the landscape, into nature very quickly. You go visit, like we mentioned, Rock of Cashel. Um, So it's kind of just a... It, it, it's a really great all-around city to give you that feeling of that history, charm, and natural beauty. So I just love Kilkenny. But I'd also mention Killarney and Killarney National Park. The natural beauty of this area is just unreal. We mentioned that primordial forest of Killarney National Park. Going back thousands of years, the flora and the trees you see are here just out of this world. Uh, and the, the town of Killarney, which is kind of at the you know the base, if you will, the kind of entrance exit point of Killarney National Park is the city of Killarney, which is a a small-ish city, you know, main streets, so easily walkable, and kind of like Kilkenny and Cork to an extent. Cork's bigger than Killarney, but it's it's got enough to keep you busy, uh, but it's small enough to be walkable, and then you've got these really cool local pubs that are just give you that slice, that feeling of Ireland. In fact, Arnold, I'm a I'm kind of embarrassed to say this. Good thing we don't have any video. I can't. You can't pull this up. But I was filmed. I, I did a guided tour there, and one of the um, the tour members, the tour guest, took a video of me singing in an Irish pub in Killarney. Were you singing a twiddly do or twiddly d? Diddly i. Diddly i. 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 <laughs> diddly i. I gotta get that right. <laughs> diddly i. Yeah, that's. It. I was a twiddly d. <laughs> you know what? Close enough. If you said that to an Irishman, he'd know. Diddly. Diddly i. Okay. So. So, yeah. Did you sing a diddly eye? I did sing a diddly eye. So actually I sung, there's a very famous Scottish song called Loch Lomond. You take the high road, I'll take the low road, right? right? That's about Loch Lomond. They have the same version in Ireland called Red is the Rose. It's the same tempo and to- tone, but it's a different It's different words. Okay. So it's called Red is the Rose. So my favorite, really one of my favorite songs is kind of a... Uh, you know, I'm kind of a uh, an old traditional Celtic geek. I, I love the old Celtic songs, English, uh, you know, Scottish, Welsh, Irish. They're all Celtic, and I love those. Uh, and then you've got the English folk songs, which are similar but a little different. And in in Ireland, you've got this song "Red Is the Rose," and which is formed off that, that song "Loch Lomond." So I knew Loch Lomond, but I didn't know "Red Is the Rose." And I asked him, I said, "Hey, can you sing this Irish version, "Red Is the Rose"?" He goes. Uh, uh, Loch Lomond goes, oh, no, mate. Uh, he didn't say mate, but oh, no, uh, we're we're in Ireland. You're going to sing Red as a Rose. So I had to look it up online, and I'm singing. They're playing it, and I'm looking at the lyrics online while I'm singing it, and my voice was terrible. Um, but this is why I love Ireland. These guys were, were paid musicians to sing in a pub, and I requested a song. Instead of playing this song, I said, hey, mate, hey, guy, hey, buddy, just you come and sing this song. You didn't leave them enough tip. I, I guess not. Yeah, that was that was their revenge. But again, nobody, and there was probably 50, 75 people. This was a, it's a bigger pub. There were, there were quite a few people in this pub just watching. And my, you know, my voice, I'm not a singer. I'm a dancer. I love to dance, but I'm not a singer. And, you know, no judgment. There was no ridicule. Everybody kind of sang, sung along the ones that knew it. And, 
and we just had a great time. And this is just a little, you know, Irish karaoke. Irish karaoke. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to sing an Irish, and you know that that'll stick with me the rest of my life. You know, the time I requested a song in an Irish pub, and he pulled me on stage. Well, it really wasn't a stage. And in these pubs, they just kind of sing in a corner. You I'll know? have to hunt for that video. Oh yeah, it's out there. It the, the the tour guest put it. I think she put it on YouTube, and she sent me a link. So it's out there. As you're talking about this, it seems like the history and the culture of this country is vibrant, and it goes way, way back. It, it really does. Uh, I mean, history in Ireland runs deep, and it's hard felt everywhere you visit. The historical significance is just evident everywhere you go, and the buildings and castles dating back, you know, a thousand years. The folklore in Ireland is legendary. Uh, another sign of rich cultural heritage. It, it Ireland doesn't really boast as many castles and cathedrals and stately homes as you'll find in in Britain. But the richness of the history here is spectacular and one kept alive in the magical storytelling. The Irish are storytellers. And, you know, there's an old saying. I don't know if you've heard this. The winners write the history and the losers write the songs. You ever heard that? Interesting. Yeah. I knew the first part. (laughs) And the Irish, well, the Irish will tell you that. And that's, so their history is written in these old ballads, these old songs. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of folklore and mythology put into that, but there's real history in there too. Take a virtual vacation to Europe from the comfort of your couch. Browse popular sites, watch video tours, explore with interactive maps, discover local insights, and start planning your dream trip when you're ready to travel once again. Choose your destination and discover some of Europe's top destinations. Visit guidester.com forward slash virtual dash vacation. So an interesting historical footnote that a lot of people probably don't know is about St. Patrick. Most people have heard of St. Patrick. We all celebrate St. Patrick's Day. is probably the most celebrated event or, or um, holiday in the whole world, especially in America. St. Patrick wasn't Irish, nor was he born in Ireland. St. Patrick was born in 385 AD in Scotland or Wales. We're not entirely sure. His father was a deacon and his grandfather was a Catholic priest in what is now England. Uh, when he was 16, St. Patrick was kidnapped by Irish raiders, pirates, and sold as a slave in Ireland. He remained a captive for six years, working as a shepherd, and at the age of 22, he managed to escape. He made his way uh, to a monastery in England where he spent 12 years, and then he ended up going back to evangelize and and convert the Irish, the the local Irish, which at that point, they would have been pagan. So he he is the one that's well known for bringing Christianity to Ireland, but he wasn't born there, nor was he Irish. Wow. And he was a slave held there. So obviously, maybe his captives were were, uh, predisposed to him and, you know... Um, but but there's some interesting things there. So blue, not green, is the original color associated with St. Patrick. Hmm. And, and it's used in several artworks during the time of Henry VII and VIII, uh, depicting the saint. Uh, green was associated with the country later, presumably because of the greenness of the Irish countryside, which really is spectacular. Those The, the Ring of Kerry that we discussed, uh, the Burren, the, the areas of natural beauty in Ireland, the green, the vibrancy of the green is spectacular. So I think that's why green became associated with Ireland, but originally St. Patrick color was blue. Blue, wow. Yeah. Um, and that's also today why the country's referred to as the Emerald Isle, I think, you know. That makes sense. That richness. Um, quick fun fact on history and culture. Um, the shamrock is a popular Irish symbol, but not the symbol of Ireland. The symbol of Ireland is the harp. Seriously? Yes. It's represented the nation since the medieval period. Uh, King Henry VIII used the harp on coins as early as 1534, and later the harp was used on Irish flags and the Irish coat of arms, and it's also on the Guinness label. It was used as a symbol of the Irish people during their long struggle for freedom as well. And when they became an independent country, 
1921, it adopted the harp as a national symbol. Couple other quick historical points there. Rock of Cashel, we mentioned. Uh, legend associates the Rock of Cashel with St. Patrick's, uh, but the name comes from Cazil, meaning stone fort. Uh, and it really goes back to the kings of Munster, which were really powerful kings in the days of yore. And then, of course, Blarney Castle, built around 1210 AD, replaced a wooden structure. <clears throat> and then in 1446, a third castle was built by Dermot McCarthy, king of Munster. And that's the keep that we see today. So a lot of rich history and cultural connections. And uh, yeah, the, so history and culture in Ireland runs deep. Yeah, you mentioned the breakaway in the 20s of Ireland from England. Yeah, so this is very convoluted. So if I, if I uh, mix something up, for someone that's a history person, uh, I apologize. But the, the dates for the breakaway of Ireland, you know, there's several dates from formation of state to the breakaway to the formation of Northern Ireland. So there, there's a lot happening here. But the broad sweeps are this. Uh, Northern Ireland, Ireland was created in 1921 uh, when Ireland was partitioned between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. Um, although a significant minority, mostly Catholics, uh, were nationalists who wanted a united Ireland independent of British rule. So that's what really set up you know, the struggles that we had later in the 80s and, right. uh, you know, with the IRA. So that's that was the, the genesis of why that set up is because Northern Ireland still held some of this bastion of nationalists. So in 1922, after the Irish War, after the Irish War of Independence, most of Ireland seceded from the United Kingdom to become independent Irish free state under the Anglo-Irish Treaty, except the six northeastern counties, which became known today as Northern Ireland, and that remained with the United Kingdom with this partition of Ireland. So you had the War of Irish uh, Independence, and then you have Ireland break away, and then a decade or two later, Ireland kind of received its international recognition recognition, recognition yeah. as a republic. So you've got like several things happening here, but really 1920s is, is when Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, kind of was born. And that in 1921, that's when Northern Ireland was partitioned and broke away from Ireland to become part of the United Kingdom. Now, was that mainly that breakaway of the Northern Ireland? Was that mainly because of religious kinds of things, or what was the? Yeah, it was it was religious, but it was also cultural. So even today, they have voted in Northern Ireland. Do you want to remain part of the United Kingdom, or do you want to rejoin the Republic of Ireland? And the last vote, majority of Northern Irish voted to stay in the United Kingdom. So a lot of, it's a kind of a misnomer that Northern Ireland is still, you know, a subject country, uh, subject territory under the United Kingdom. It's really not true. The, the Northern Ireland, in many respects, culturally is closer to Britain than it is Ireland. Now, again, there's tons and tons of, of Irish that live in Northern Ireland that want to see it reunited. In my opinion, it will be. Mm-hmm. In our lifetime, Northern Ireland would probably be reincorporated into the Republic. But no, it culturally, it's still quite British. Hmm. Hmm. You go to Belfast, I mean, it's not a whole lot different than what you'd see in Manchester, Liverpool, just across the way. This would be a good time to ask this question, because I think many people are confused by the many names that are used. We have Great Britain. We have England. We have the United Kingdom. We have Wales. We have Ireland. We have Scotland. We have Northern Ireland. <laughs> so... Start from the smallest portion and then get to the largest portion because I know there's similarities between like as we would refer to it as states and then a country. Right. If we're speaking politically, the United Kingdom is the political unit that encompasses England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. And you've got 
other isles, the Isles of Scilly and other things like that, and territories like the Gibraltar is a territory. So barring that, there's a lot of territories that make up the United Kingdom. But broadly speaking, we're talking about England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Now, Britain is just England, Scotland, and Wales. So England, Scotland, and Wales really are part of the United Kingdom, but they also have a lot of autonomy. So like in Scotland, they have a first minister. They have their own parliament, the Scottish parliament. That can only do certain things, though. And we don't want to get into the weeds of this kind of thing, but but it they actually have no written constitution in the United Kingdom. It's 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 based on precedents, it's based on decrees. So there is no written constitution that you and I have as Americans. They don't have that. It's somewhat layered and it is a little messy when you get into the detail. But broadly speaking, the United Kingdom is kind of run from the Parliament in London, but Scotland, uh, Edinburgh, the uh, Parliament there has its own powers, and then there is an assembly in Wales that has its own powers as well. So starting from the smallest, uh, you've got Northern Ireland. That's the smallest of those regions. Uh, Then Wales is a bit bigger. Then you've got Scotland, and then England's going to be the biggest of of those territories. So, So a couple things to keep in mind. So Britain, when someone says Britain, they're talking about the island of Britain, England, Scotland, Wales. And then when someone says the UK, generally, you just add you take Britain and you add in Northern Ireland. Now you've got now you've got the United Kingdom, and then but you, then you can also talk about England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland independently of each other. So does that make sense? So yeah. You kind of have these building blocks of the United Kingdom. Macro is micro uh, United Kingdom, and and the micro is is the Wales, the Scotland, the England, the Northern Ireland. Gotcha. So in Ireland, they obviously don't speak Irish. It's called Gaelic, or do they speak? Well, they call it Irish. So Irish Gaelic, they call Irish. Okay. Uh, because if you said Gaelic to an Irishman, they would, well, they would probably think you're talking about Irish. But strictly speaking, when you're saying Gaelic, you're talking about Scottish Gaelic. Um, so Irish is what people in Ireland refer to as their old Gaelic language, uh, which is somewhat different from the Gaelic spoken in Scotland. Um, so again, if you say Gaelic, strictly they'll they'll assume you might be talking about the Scottish Gaelic you really should just say Irish. You know, oh, you're speaking a bit of Irish there, are you? Um, and that's the that's the old Gaelic. According to a recent poll, nearly 40% of the Irish population, 1.7 million people, have said they speak some or fluent Irish. So it really is, and I think 40%, you know, these, these are obviously polls that people fill out themselves and how liberal are they being? Because I've been to Ireland several times now, and there are definitely some Irish speakers, but fluent Irish speakers... It's not anywhere close to 40%. But that's changing. The the uh, push to bring Irish, the, the Gaelic, the old Gaelic, back into schools and back as part of, you know, uh, communicating is, is, is strong. So everybody speaks English still, and they've got their Irish accent, of course, to, which varies depending on the county you go to. But Gaelic itself is is really making a uh, resurgence in Ireland. In fact, there's communities or, or um, organizations, rather, that are pushing to make Irish you know, sort of the national language. You you have road signs now in Irish. Um, you'll you'll get into some real rural areas where they'll be speaking Irish to each other, and that's kind of a funny way. If you get into a situation, they start speaking Irish around you. It's not a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they might be talking about you. Uh, they might be saying something they don't want you to hear. Um, but it it you do you do get to see it and hear it if you're in more of the rural areas. You probably won't hear it too much in the cities. But it, it is growing. It, it's a very a, a nationalistic, a cultural pride 
very much like uh, Quebec or Quebec and Montreal in Canada. Yeah, exactly. They speak French. I would say in Quebec, w- way more people speak French than than right. the reverse Irish right. in Ireland. Um, but yes, absolutely tied to cultural heritage and cultural pride. And the same is happening in Wales. Now, far few people speak Welsh in Wales and Irish in Ireland. However, that's changing too. You're getting a program of speaking Welsh in the schools. So it's it's kind of this cult. And same in Scotland. So you've got, and kind of back up, but this is really important for this discussion, the Celtic heritage incorporates Wales, Scotland, and Ireland. That's the Celtic the Celtic nations. Actually, England was Celtic before the Romans came, but the British, the English Celts, really were Celts before the Romans came in the uh, first century AD. Uh, Emperor Claudius was the uh, the first to really start incorporating Britain or uh, Southeast England into the Roman Empire. But but Wales and Scotland and certainly Ireland kind of continued on being Celtic. So when, when someone says a Celtic culture, they're really referring to Ireland, Wales, and Scotland, which all share a similar Celtic history, which I, I, I find beautiful. And it, it, there is divergences there, but, but it's, it's kind of this Celtic um, cultural ancestry that really is fascinating to start to un- unwind and explore. Well, when you look at discovering your roots of where you live and the heritage that goes on, especially in a country that is as old as Ireland, I would understand completely why they would want to go back to the original language. Right. Yeah. And you see that a lot in Europe and across the world, too. There is, you know, this um, desire to protect that historical and cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. And, and now that Ireland's free and has been for decades, they're, they're able to do that in a way that they never able, were able to before. Same with Welsh. I mean, it was really frowned upon to speak Welsh decades ago. And, and now that we're in a more sort of free society and, and the UK has loosened its grip, the, the British Parliament, if you will, the London Parliament has loosened its grip on its on, on these uh, areas and, and its counterparts. Um, so they're able to do that more. And what you know what I really love about this is the, the passion. So you can learn a lot about Ireland just by listening to these songs, the folklore, this Celtic heritage that we're talking about. Even if you're not interested in history, you have no interest in history at all, you can learn a, a lot about the way the Irish think and and what they value and um, and just you, you can get these moments of, of beauty just by kind of immersing yourself into that cultural heritage that we're discussing and and you know like the Celtic cross right that's another one that when Christianity came to Ireland they incorporate they kind of made their own cross instead of the sort of uh, uh, basic cross that you see in most European and Western countries, you, the Celtic cross has that circle, right. which was really incorporated uh, from that, that Celtic heritage. So from religion to governance to, to you know, the way they build their cities, that, that cultural connection to their Celtic past is really significant. Well, sounds like before we take our trip, we need to listen to some Irish music, get a little culture and history, and then we can uh, plan out our itinerary for what we're going to see. And what was the name given to the Celtic, the Irish music, the traditional Irish music. What do they call it? Diddly Eye. <laughs> Diddly Eye, right. <laughs> you can't forget that one. You got to remember, walk into a pub and you say, are you going to have some Diddly Eye on tonight? They'll get a good kick out of it. Only if you're going to do karaoke. Right. <laughs> Only if you're willing to sing in a pub in front of a bunch of strangers. Well worth doing. You'll never forget it. We appreciate you listening to this episode of Virtual Vacation with Guidester. If you enjoy this episode, please consider letting us know. 
The best way to do this is by rating us on Apple Podcasts. Reviews are always welcome and encouraged. Virtual Vacation with Guidester is produced by Motif Media Group. For Jack Bauman and Virtual Vacation with Guidester, I'm Arnold Stricker.